This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Well, hello and welcome back to the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled Marketing. And today I'm joined by a special guest, Mark Grieven, who is Professor of Innovation and Strategy at IMD. Drawing on a decade of experience in research, teaching and consulting in China, Mark explores how to organize innovation in a turbulent world. He has been collaborating with innovative Chinese companies and entrepreneurial multinationals to explore novel ways of organizing, accelerating corporate innovation, enabling digital business transformation and designing business ecosystems to thrive on uncertainty. He is a fluent Chinese speaker. And Mark is also one of the authors of the book, The Future of Global Retail, which was published in 2021. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks, Kiri, for having me. Looking forward to our talk. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. We were just kind of previewing some of the topics we're going to touch on today, and I'm really excited to dive in. So help me set the scene for this topic. Why should retail brands in the West look to China for inspiration? Yeah, so it's a really good question. So it's actually, you know, why we even bother to write a whole book about this topic, right? And thinking about retail concepts coming from China and that could potentially impact other parts of the world. And it's interesting because a lot of people's mind, when we think about China, think about innovation, often we don't think so much about innovation, actually. We think more about, you know, copycats and things being copied, business models being copied, you know, from the West to China. And this is one of those spaces where it's almost the other way around. So we started to observe, I think, for the last five or six years that, you know, a lot of retail brands, retailers and retail platforms, you know, started to embrace lots of digital innovations in the way that they, you know, connect to consumers and the way they engage with consumers and whole new business models, you know, leveraging all kinds of technologies. And this is, you know, for the last couple of years, something that we've started to witness and start to see emerge from China. And then actually somewhere, I think it was last year, the beginning of last year, we saw that others started to pick this up. You know, we had the economist reporting on, you know, why retailers everywhere should look to China or, you know, the next big thing would come from China. We got, you know, the Starbucks CEO being quoted as, you know, we're going to apply to the US what we've learned in China and even PNG, you know, Procter and Gamble, they were like, if you want to see the future of marketing, look at China. So, you know, putting all the things together, we thought hmm, there is something to uncover there. So, you know, as researchers, we then started to dive deep and figure out what that is. Super. Yeah, absolutely. And some of those things, especially during the pandemic around live video shopping, were kind of held up as hallmarks of this is already really popular in China and it's only a matter of time until live video shopping just dominates the e-commerce experience in the West. That's one example, actually. What are some other examples of innovations that have recently come to the West from China? Yeah, so it's really interesting, right? So live streaming and live stream shopping is like probably the one that got most attention, right? Because, you know, there's large numbers involved, right? You're talking about billions and billions of dollars being sold over live streams. And it's a really an interesting one. And we could, and we should probably talk more about that. But we've also seen other concepts like social commerce, where, you know, where shopping 
on digital channels was made more, well, more fun in a way, a more socialized experience. And this started in China with platforms like Pinduoduo and Red, you know, Xiaohongshu, which really tried sort of to merge entertainment or, you know, fun with, you know, this shopping and, you know, this transactional shopping experience. And I think that's something that we see also, you know, being adopted in other parts of the world now, just because it's kind of like playing into a need that people have, right? If you go shopping, you don't like to go shopping alone. You know, it has to be fun. And you do this typically with friends. Now, online, typically it was a very transactional thing. I go to a website, you know, I order it and, you know, I receive it at home and done. So I think this is really an interesting thing that I think, you know, started in China, but also, you know, we see in, in other markets. And interesting concept that I think really is taking off is this idea of no longer thinking about this online versus the offline world, you know, this merger of the online and offline experiences. And I think this is something that, you know, China probably has pioneered already many years ago, you know, thinking about what are the kinds of things I buy online, but I want to experience offline, you know, making that consumers don't have to choose anymore. You know, if I feel like going to a shop, I can, you know, get my experience in the shop on the street. But if I want to buy things online, I can also do that online in, in various different ways. And I think that's a really, you know, started in, in I think it's four or five years ago. And you know, obviously we see this now in things like grocery shopping, you know, all these online fresh supermarkets that are in Europe, in the US, in other parts of the world. Yeah, I've heard of a huge grocery store in China. Is it Hana or Hema? Hema, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so, like, what's different about Hema that we haven't really seen in the West yet? What they try to do is, it's an interesting thing. So Hema Fresh, it's a supermarket concept. And it's originally launched by, you know, by one of those giants, Alibaba. And then what they wanted to do is they basically said, you know, people go to the supermarket to buy fresh food, right? And fresh food is, you know, things like, you know, cucumbers and tomatoes and so on. But, you know, Chinese people like to shop for, you know, even more fresh things like fish, and seafood. And it's very, you know, this is a highly perishable types of products that, you know, typically yeah, you can only get at the market or, you know, inside the supermarket. And then Roma tried to add that category actually to the online space. So now actually as, you know, if you're a Roma, you know, a member, you know, you could go to the shop and you could, you know, choose your fish and bring it home and cook it. Or you could eat it in inside the supermarket. They prepare it for you. Or you can stay at home and they deliver it at home within half an hour you know, freshly, you know, from the pond where it was in. So it really tried sort of in the most difficult category of product, right? So this like fresh live food, you know, to integrate that. So there was, you know, pretty much, you know, it hasn't happened in other places in the world, really. And they were quite successful. Build is now, I think there's over 150 of those types of, you know, supermarkets out there now. And this is a little bit different right now in the US and UK and some other markets, we're seeing an explosion of instant delivery grocery, mm. which is, you know, either from vertically integrated players like GoPuff that have their own inventory and their own warehouse facilities in these major markets and they're delivering grocery items to people within less than 30 minutes. So different type of, still talking about grocery and convenience at the end of the day, but I guess that Hammer mm. example is more about yeah, you can't order a freshly scaled fish <laughs> right, and exactly. have that delivered to you with GoPuff. Yep. Right, right, yep. exactly. And I think it's kind of like 
it sounds very much a consumer-facing, really cool solution. But ultimately, this, of course, is like a massive supply chain logistics type of challenge, right, that they try mm-hmm. to solve. And that was behind it, right? So they also kind of like want to show like, oh, we can do this, you know, because we're no longer just you know, delivering packages of books and cell phones, but we're, you know, our logistics capability has evolved to that extent. Yeah, that's super interesting. I guess, you know, Amazon is a big part of my world and I can see some of the same resonances mm. with Amazon in that it was a retailer and now it's tech infrastructure and it's also a logistics platform in and of itself and it's morphed into this sort of octopus with lots of different arms doing lots mm. of different things in the vertically integrating. So okay. what about some of the marketing or user experience innovations that are unfolding in China right now that you think should be a think we should think about? And one example of that that came on my radar a few months ago was about the clothing retailer Shein which Mm. is just really blown up and essentially they're translating shopping trends in real time and using a network of warehouses to get things made faster and faster and it's all based on really fine-tuned tracking of consumer trends. So what else have you seen in this area that you think would be lesson from the future, if you will, (laughs) for us? Right, right. No, and I think Shein is like, it's a really interesting example, right? I mean, it's a company that is, you know, as much a data software company as it is a fashion company, right? So it's, or fast fashion. So I think it's one of those examples where you see that a lot of these Chinese retailers' capability to understand the consumer really played out like to the extreme, right? And I think what you see that a lot of the retailers, a lot of the brands in China have become really good at you know, collecting data from, you know, all the different channels that they're part of, all the social channels, the commerce channels, you know, the live streams, and, you know, sort of put that into a massive, you know, understanding, like a big brain analyzing, you know, in real time, continuously, what consumers, you know, want and need, how to respond to new things. And I think that's a capability that I think you see played out really well in Xi'an. You know, and definitely one of the reasons why they can do what they do at the speed. That's not the only reason, but it's certainly one of the reasons. And I think these are this is sort of one element that you see. I think another element I think for me what always stands out when we look at you know user experiences and you know kind of marketing types of innovations is the whole idea of the customer journey and how, you know how consumers decide, how they evaluate, when they buy. It has always been a fairly kind of like you know, a stage process, you know, where, you know, at the end of the line, there's a button that says, you know, buy or, you know, click here to pay. And I think what a lot of the retailers in China have started to do is to make that basically without any stages continuously across this consumer journey. So whenever the consumer feels ready, you know, to buy, you know, there's always an option to buy. It's not an isolated event anymore. Whenever the you know consumer wants to understand how the product is doing compared to other products, there is an evaluation process or moment or something to look at, whether it's a live stream or whether it's an, you know, a customer review or whatever it is. And it seems that this kind of embedding of all those different stages that used to be in a typical sort of a ton- typical funnel seems to be totally like opened up. Like, you know, there's no specific order. It's kind of like always around. There's no more isolated events in this thing, which makes it really, you know, I would say, 
convenient and comfortable for the consumer, right? Because, you know, they just follow their way of when and what and where they want to do things. And then basically the brands kind of like follow them, right? So it's just super close to the consumer. Today's sponsor is Cinder. Cinder makes tax season feel like a Friday night because it helps Amazon businesses to close their books correctly, always have a P&L report and balance sheet and inventory tracking on hand. If you run your business on more than one sales channel, Cinder is perfect for you to have all of your revenue and expenses data in one ecosystem and set up KPIs that work for your business. You can start Cinder with 56% off with the coupon code EASYBOOKS by going to Cinder's website. That's cinder.me, S-Y-N-D-E-R dot me slash braintrust. That's cinder.me slash braintrust. And again, use the coupon code EASYBOOKS to get a discount and also receive a actionable e-commerce checklist. Manage your data like a Thanos. That's really interesting because in my world, we still are very much using the concept of the purchase journey or the funnel, as you Mm. mentioned, and going from awareness to consideration to purchase and using different types of advertising mechanisms to get in front of shoppers at different stages of their journey. So we might be using, you know, TikTok as an awareness stage and then consideration might be some, you know, influencer marketing or Mm. product content, things like that, and then the purchase stage, making sure that brands are actually have inventory available and have a good purchase experience in the channel that the shopper is ultimately looking to transact. So is what you're saying that with TikTok, for example, there's other examples where instead of someone learning about something on TikTok and then going to Amazon and searching for it, and there's this whole, <laughs> there's right. this whole, just did a blog post about this, this whole process of TikTok sales happening on Amazon and they've got pages dedicated to what's hot on TikTok right now on Amazon. So people are going from TikTok to Amazon to purchase, but in a Chinese kind of setting, it's what you're mm. saying that you no, know, people would just be buying things on TikTok. You would never change platforms to actually transact. Right. So this is a really interesting example, right? So the Chinese TikTok, like Douyin, right? So the Chinese original version of TikTok, you know, originally it was just entertainment, right? So just looking at little short videos. And then, you know, it became a tool for commerce, right? So you have native shops, right? So which are basically, you know, e-commerce shops within TikTok, right? So you just click on, you know, on the person or on the picture and you end up in this person's store and you could buy there, right? So it's like, you know, I see a nice, a nice shirt and I click on it and I could immediately buy. But Actually, TikTok has been quite open in the sense that, you know, maybe you want to transact on Taobao because, you know, you have other things that you're putting in your cart in Taobao, so you just want to add it. So it leaves open this option, right? So it leaves open the option, you know, you could go to, you know, to Taobao, which is, you know, consumer shop or Tmall platform, which is not the same company, right? It's a different company. I think the point is, it's open to whatever the consumer wants, right? So you want to buy instantly, you you can buy instantly within TikTok. You don't want to buy instantly, but you want to think about it. You add it to your cart in, in Tmall. So it's an interesting role, right? And then sometimes the role of with TikTok, it could be about awareness, right? It could also be about helping me to select, you know? So if I'm, you know, looking at categories like, you know, whatever, lipstick for my part, with a good example with Mr. Lipstick there, 
you know, so many different types, right? I don't know what to choose. And then, you know, I use it as a way to do product selection. While in other ways, maybe a brand can use a TikTok influencer to create engagement and, you know, understand how people respond to new products. So there's no fixed function, I'd say, you know, for these different things. So what was the name of that social media platform you mentioned? So I refer to TikTok and Douyin. So Douyin is basically TikTok. Oh, it's okay. the same company. Right, right, right. Gotcha. Okay. So national brands in the US often find themselves competing with Chinese manufacturers who are selling increasingly directly to customers on platforms like Amazon. And the manufacturers in China obviously have a major cost advantage. What are your thoughts on how the national brands in the US or elsewhere compete with this phenomenon? Mm. I mean, what you're talking about is this whole boom of D2C, right? So direct-to-consumer brands, basically, that I think, especially in the last two years or three years, it really started to explode, right? Both in China and other parts of the world. I think for national brands or like incumbent brands, I think the major shift for them is, you know, they have to start to understand how to compete in this whole digital space. So getting good at, you know, this, you know, omni-channel or, you know, multi-channel marketing, understanding data, understanding all of this has become so much more urgent, you know, in competing with D2C models. And I think if anywhere they want to, you know, keep up, I think that's probably the biggest, biggest step to have to make. And then digital, not only on the side of, you know, marketing and sales, like sort of the commercials, you know, customer facing side, but also what we just talked about, logistic, right? Just digitizing the supply chain, you know, knowing where, what is happening, you know, with their suppliers, with the distributors. And I think there's a lot of steps to make if they want to, you know, keep competing with D2C brand. Yep, definitely. Yeah, I think it really calls into question what is a brand and mm. what is a brand supposed to do? And if your advantage in the past has been around cost and suddenly your manufacturer right. or a very similar manufacturer has taken that cost advantage away. What is the purpose of your company now and, and how do you differentiate that? It's I think it's calling to question a lot of existential, their very existence in a way. So, yeah, it's a reckoning that's happening. I mean, totally. I mean, you see it with like, especially during these unfortunate COVID times, we've seen so many you know iconic brands struggling and, you know, difficult to adjust to these new realities. And you know, and so yes, having a good brand and having a you know, hundred-year-old brand, of course, still adds value, right? It's not about you know that the brand loses immediately the value, but it's just not enough to compete in a space like you know where the D2C brands are competing in, especially with younger consumers, right? Like if you just look at Chinese young consumers, I mean, this group is massive, right? You talk about three, four hundred million people, and they're going to define the next generation of brands, not their parents. Yep. Definitely. All right. Here's another sort of left field question for you, but I think it's going to be pretty interesting to explore. Chinese private equity and venture capital, obviously a lot of money sloshing around there. Will they eventually become part of the Amazon FBA aggregator ecosystem? And I ask that because in the rankings of the largest FBA aggregators, there's obviously a lot in the US, some in Europe, and there was really very, very few that I saw coming from China. So I'm interested to hear why you think that is and if you see that changing. Hmm. Yeah, this is really an interesting question, right? Because 
my take on this is always like if there's a business opportunity, typically Chinese investors or entrepreneurs are all over it, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, they're really good at spotting opportunities. So it's kind of surprising, you know. So when you ask this question, I start to think about this. And, you know, I think there's a couple of reasons why we don't see that yet, but also why that might change in the near future. So I think, you know, this whole aggregator, you know, business, right? Basically, you know, you know these investors and companies buy, you know, smaller product-based brands and then, you know, try to help them scale up and, you know, use all kinds of synergies, capabilities they build. And that type of business for a Chinese investor or private equity or venture capitalist to do that inside China. So typically, you know, any Chinese investor would first look at, you know, what's happening inside China, especially in the retail space, because it's the fastest growing, you know, there's, you know, a booming middle class. So typically, the, you know, where would they look for opportunities inside China? But this aggregator model, I don't think it's that popular inside China. I mean, if you think about like, what's the equivalent of an Amazon? Now, that would be Taobao or JD. Now, Taobao doesn't have an FBA type of arrangement, right? Where they would sort of take care of all fulfillment and so on. Plus that, you know, compared to an Amazon, perhaps Taobao has, you know, in the eyes of investors, a little bit less trust on you know the accuracy of data customer reviews and all of that so i don't think that it was a dominant model or a very popular model in china for instance for the taobao group right even though you had lots of taobao brands and taobao kols and all of that now then the only other option there was jd right so the other big competitor there and they have an fba type of solution right so fulfilled by by jd but then JD itself has not so many brands because it's right. It's close. It's pretty close, right? So this opportunity was not, you know, it was there, but it probably was not that big. And then if you then look at okay, Chinese investors, they could follow, you know, those international investors and go after Amazon, you know, brands, right? But then that's a bit of a leap, right? Because then you are, you know, a Chinese-based investor or entrepreneur, and you're going to invest in I don't know, a brand from the US, and these are typically small companies, right? Small brands, you know, solo entrepreneur type of brands, you know, or from Germany, that's very far away. You know, that's only what we see changing. And that's why I say maybe this picture will change. I think two reasons. I think one is we do see more and more, you know, Chinese D2C brands popping up on Amazon in the last year and a half. So once that's happening, you know, I'm sure money is going to be interested in those brands. Secondly is we do see some new players. So last year we saw that company in Beijing founded called Nebula, which is pretty much an Amazon aggregator for Chinese brands. So I think it's safe to say that we might see some of that still happening you know, in the near future. Yeah, one of my predictions, I guess, is that the aggregators will start buying more Chinese manufacturers mm. to get a hold on the supply chain. So if I was an aggregator in the US or Germany or wherever, I'd be concerned about my portfolio of brands. Again, mm. what is the value that they're playing when there is a manufacturer in China, the brand is put their own spin on it, but what's really stopping that manufacturer from coming in and competing directly with the brand? So I'd be looking to de-risk that as much as possible and actually start to acquire manufacturers for key product lines like 
consumer electronics or something like that. If my brand of toasters is doing really well, I might go buy that toaster factory. (laughs) So I'd be looking to kind of integrate up the supply chain a little bit more and potentially there is, that's an opportunity. Mm. One of the largest aggregators recently acquired a brand and manufacturer in India and that was the first like major news story I saw about that to suggest that it could be coming but that there might be some sort of do you think that there would be some challenges from like a legal perspective of those companies coming in and acquiring Chinese manufacturers as well yeah I'm sure there's going to be you know some regulatory hurdles left left and right but the other thing is I mean if then, let's say, you know, a German brand says, you know, okay, I'm going to acquire my toaster factories in China. I mean, this is a very tricky business, right? Because this is where a foreign-owned uh, you know, company would certainly not have a benefit over a local entrepreneur or a local company, right? So for many ways, right? Whether it's from language to culture to, you know, understanding how to run the business, you know, sort of the messiness of some of it. And the fact that, if you just look at one of the success factors of Xi'in and Speed is because it's an you know highly integrated yes. software driven you know business right so that's going to be tricky if you're not part of that already right if you come in as an outsider so i think that's a possible defensive move i'm not sure if it's going to be enough right and i'm saying that because you know you see like Xi'in is just one of many right in fact there's a lot of brands like Xi'in that made inroads in other markets and very successfully, you know, that these people don't talk so much about, you know, there's like others. What? Can you, know, you give Anta. me some examples? Yeah, like Anta, for instance, you know, which is an interesting company. You know, there's Perfect Diary, which is in cosmetics. There is definitely other, you know, some of them are also in, you know, successful in the US. Others are more successful in like Southeast Asia. You know, we have like Popmart, you know, which is kind of, you know, you can buy little gifts, but without knowing what the gift is, you know, this kind of very oh, yeah. popular um, thing. Neiwai, which is in female, you know, underwear type of brand developed purely by an online brand from China, but sells all across Asia. It all follows similar models, right? You know, very good use of data, software, using other platforms to scale very quickly. You know, basically they had their brand, you know, within no time to big scale. Great. Yeah, I love those. After the call, I'm going to get those names (laughs) from you and make sure we include them in the show notes because I think people will be curious to click through it and see what those are like, how Mm. they're operating. So in closing, this has been great, Mark. Learned so much. What are you excited about in the world of retail right now? At the moment, to be honest, the most exciting thing is still this whole live stream revolution. I mean, we just see how many new platforms are emerging in the US, how companies are jumping on this, you know, how a Walmart is starting to do live streams in the US. It's just really fascinating how that is transforming in a way, right? Because the whole thing about live stream, and that's why I find it so exciting, is that live streaming is actually fundamentally challenging the position of the brand, you know, between the platform, the consumer, the influencer. Mm, and, yep. And that's so interesting. You know, how are brands going to respond? How are they going to you know, play in that new game, right? You know, it's a shift of power in a way, right? In the world of live stream. It's not just about the channel or, you know, about video and buying. And I feel that's, I think, the most exciting space at the moment. So you see live streaming potentially disintermediating brands because the power's with the influencers and with the platforms. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, and this is a reality. And this is not for all product categories, right? So there's, you know, for some it matters more than for others. And brand still, you know, brand value still matters a lot. But, you know, the whole conversation, you know, with the consumer, you know, who owns that conversation increasingly? Increasingly, it's those live streamers, influencers. And they know the consumers rather than the brands themselves. Yeah, what you're talking about is a very, very different model to the Super Bowl advertising complex (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) who can pay the most for a super bowl ad and get the cleverest ad agency to come up with something that people will talk about (laughs) it's like the polar opposite of what you're talking about here where it's almost like a grassroots kind of thing from influencers and the platforms really driving the agenda and interestingly it is not even the platforms that have most of the power right because in a way, even the platforms, if we talk about some of the bigger influencers and live streamers, they're also almost at the mercy of these live streamers, right? I mean, just to give you one example, the 30-second example, Mr. Lipstick, you know, he sells lipstick and he knows everything about lipstick in China. You know, he had a show with 250 million viewers live. So with wow. that kind of, you know, audience, that's no longer just, you know, a nice, fun gadget or you know, a marketing trick, right? That doesn't happen. Even with the best possible marketing tricks, you don't get that, right? So it's Yeah. Well, I get what you're saying. One sort of challenge on that is mm. that influencers have more power than the platforms is what you said. In some cases, and these might mm. be more fringe scenarios, the platforms can still cancel influencers sure. or put them under pressure, like seen with Joe Rogan and Spotify recently so that there is some and also like the fickle nature of what's hot right now as well TikTok is the hot thing right now but I'm gonna bet it's not going to be in five years time there'll be something else so yeah what have you changed your mind about so what I've changed my mind about is actually when I got in and started to do research on basically five six years ago I thought you know retail and this whole space you know that's not the most complicated side of the world. You know, I was used to doing a lot of B2B, like industrial, chemical, pharmaceutical business and trying to understand them. And I find out, you know, oh, wow, you know, the retail landscape has evolved, has revolved. I don't know how to call it even. It has pivoted, changed so much. It's become so complex. And I think it's therefore one of the most challenging, but also, you know, one of the most interesting places you know, or areas to study and, you know, to try to figure out, you know, how it is moving because it's moving so fast. It's incredible. Well, listeners of this show will be very pleased to hear you say that. (laughs) And so, Mark, where can people follow you and your work? Yeah. So, you know, of course, I love people to read the books that we publish and, you know, we do a lot of articles in HBR and Harvard and then Sloan, but, you know, not everyone wants to read the book. So we have a website, I have my own website, markgraber.com. And obviously at IMD, so uh, the business school in Switzerland, we publish a lot on this field, you know, with colleagues. I do a lot of work with my colleague Winter Nee on the retail space. So, uh, you know, look out for our socials in IMD because there a lot of it shows up. Yep. Great. I will put links to all of those things in the show notes. Is there anything that you're working on right now that you want to preview with us? Yes. I'm working on two major projects. One is actually understanding and unpacking this live stream business, you know, and what does it mean? What are the implications for brands? This is one big project. The other project I'm very excited about is I'm trying to understand how 
incumbent businesses, so businesses that are already around there for many, many years, how they can embrace this whole concept of building ecosystems, digital ecosystems, better, faster, in a way that they can survive in this you know, very, very dynamic and moving space. Very interesting. Great. Well, yeah, we'll link up to all those places that you mentioned so people can follow what you're doing. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was fascinating. My pleasure. My pleasure. Love the questions and I look forward to staying in touch.